Okay, so we will start in our uh, Torah portion, which is in Genesis chapter 41. But we're actually going to start in Genesis chapter 40. It's a little pre-Torah portion here. Uh, the reason I want to do that is just to give us a little bit of background of what's going on. Basically, um, you know, we were reading how Jacob uh, left Laban with his two wives and his 11 kids, comes to the land, Benjamin's born, uh, Rachel, Isaac, Jacob, who is... Rachel. Rachel dies. I always screw up the women's names, you know. Too many wives. Uh, she dies in giving birth to Benjamin. And so there they are, living in the land. Um, Levi and Simeon kill everybody uh, in that town. And then they plunder that town and uh, because uh, because of what they did to Dina, Dinah. And... Um, and then there's uh, then basically we come to where uh, the Torah portion before this. Well, first we have Judah goes off and, and does his thing for a little while, and eventually that's where we get the the line of Messiah. That's a whole you know fascinating uh, passage and story. And then um, Joseph uh, gets sold into slavery by his brothers. They throw him into the pit and then they sell him to the um, uh, the Ishmaelites or Edomites, whoever they were, and they get they bring them down, bring him down into uh, Egypt. He gets sold to Potiphar. The whole thing with Potiphar's wife. And then he gets thrown in jail. So basically, here's Joseph. We're looking at him uh, coming to uh, see him where he is here in jail, basically. So I I love the story of Joseph because of numerous things, numerous levels. But you know, one of the most encouraging things to me about it is is you know, seemingly everything went wrong in his life for him. <laughs> and it would have been the perfect reason and perfect opportunity uh, to, you know, just give up on God and to uh, forget his identity and to kind of forsake it all and just be really angry and hold a grudge and um, basically render himself useless for any further uh, purpose. And so I think the same, you know, oftentimes I think in our own lives, if we look back, you know, things that seemed really terrible or didn't seem to go our way or were problems, oftentimes those were the things that God used in our life for a much bigger situation uh, to work out his will in and through our lives and then even in the people's lives around us. And so I don't know that we should ever really worry or... Uh, Put, you know, so I think to me that kind of gives you know a little bit of a different spin, like on what Yeshua says. You know, take no thought for tomorrow. You know, don't worry, because not that you're not concerned with the events and you don't have to get up and go to work. Because I'm not going to worry. You know, the lilies of the field are fed. You know, that's not what he's talking about there. But it's this bigger idea of, oh, I've ruined my life, or things aren't working out, or things aren't going the way that I thought they should be. When in fact, that's not how we're supposed to conduct our lives. We're supposed to just obey Him, do what's right, follow God, and then leave the rest in His hands. You know, there's a book I read. Um, uh, what's the book? But the guy, the family in Russia. 
the dad gets sent off to buy is not forever. Ah, that book changed my life. So you got this guy who um, lives in uh, communist Russia. He was, uh, I think he was a lawyer, if I remember correctly. But event he basically ticks off the local authorities because uh, in that communist-run system, they were exploiting things there improperly. And so he said, no, I know the law. This is what you're supposed to do. Well, he made them angry. So he basically gets ships off to um, uh, slave labor camp in uh, Siberia. And is there for something like 40 years. So he, his family is less, left destitute, um, barely survives and goes by. Long story short, eventually the daughter, who's just a baby, when he gets shipped off, go, uh, gets married to a guy who eventually becomes uh, a, a fairly well-known Christian guy. I can't remember all the details. But in other words, my point in it is... Yeah, the point of it is, you know, because that father, who wasn't a believer, wasn't saved, he just stood up for what was right in principle in his own life, and it cost him everything. And so, you know, if I were him in his situation, you know, slave labor in Siberia, you would, I would be thinking to myself, well, that was so stupid. You know, what a waste. My life's shot. You know, everything has been robbed. You know, my family, my life, everything for what? Seemingly, right? And what he died, probably never died, never even probably knowing, is that this daughter, who barely knew him, went on to, you know, get married to this guy, become a believer, write this book, who now, now impact untold thousands of people. You know, but in the little nucleus of his own perception of what he could see in this narrow band, this tunnel vision of his own life, his life was a failure, you know. Can I share a story? <laughs> sure, yeah. John Owen, most people probably don't know who he is, like back during uh, John Bunyan's time. Uh-huh. Well, John Owen was a believer, and he had clout with, with the authorities, and he tried to get Bunyan out of prison, but he couldn't get out of prison. And so because he was in prison for 12 years, he ended up writing Pilgrim's right. Progress. Yeah. So to your point being, right. you know, Owen couldn't get Bunyan out. Bunyan has to stay in prison. Bad thing. Well, right. no, we probably maybe never would have gotten Pilgrim's Progress. Right. Exactly. So my point, I guess, in all of this is if we just look at life through the tunnel vision of our own little microcosm experience, all we see is, is just what's happening in this moment and instant in our life but we can't see the bigger picture. And the whole point of what, what God tries to tell us, what he's trying to tell us to do uh, in his word, in the Torah, in our lives, is that there's a ripple effect, that it, it has a much bigger effect uh, in the body of Messiah, in the scheme of time, in what we do and how we do it. And granted, God's will will always be worked out through all things, whether we screw up or not, and but we're not supposed to. Um, but... You know, we can't allow ourselves to be anesthetized by, if that's the right word, um, by our own lack of drive because we can only see what we're in right now. You know, we can't let uh, that keep us down and keep us limited. And Joseph's a perfect example of this. And we don't know what went through his head, but what we do have is the evidence of how he acted in situations. When it came to Potiphar's wife, he did what was right. He said, how could I do such a great, terrible thing and sin against God? 
So he carried that with him. You know, the fleshly side of a normal guy, well, what the heck's it matter anyway? I, you know, all is lost. Here I am a slave in my master's house anyway. Who cares if I live or die? But everything that happened to him, though it seemed really bad, was part of God's plan for, for a much bigger thing. That guy who stood up for what was right in communist Russia, God used that, you know, for a much bigger thing, unbeknownst to him. Um, and so, same goes on for us. Though it may seem like you're sleeping out in your, your lean-to suka and the rest of your family thinks you're crazy, uh, you know, maybe a grandson, maybe a friend or neighbor down the road, or, or, or a kid, a friend's kid down the road will be like, you know, that was that weird guy with the funny strings who slept under his suka, you know. But maybe that'll trigger something, you know. So we don't know the impact of what we do and what, and what it will have uh, in, in other people's lives. And that's why it's so important in our own personal walk, in our own personal lives. There's no such thing as personal walk and personal life, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It all affects everything. Just like uh, in the body, if you stab yourself in the eye, you're, you're not going to be doing much. You know, if you've ever poked yourself in the eye with something good, you basically, you, you're, you're done. You just got to lay there until it gets better. It's the same thing in the body of Messiah. If one person's gimping and limping along, we all suffer because of that. And that's why, you know, you're supposed to, we're supposed to all work in conjunction with each other because it all has a ripple effect. This is borne out in the life of Joseph. So what I want to read here in the beginning is, so, so, uh, so, so Joseph chose to still maintain his identity. Um, I never look at my notes, so I go all over the place. Um, well, let's just, let's just, um, let's just start where I wanted to be. Okay, Genesis 40, verse 8. <laughs> so that's all background, basically, what I gave you here. Okay. Um, let, let's start in 7. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sad today? And um, so he's in the prison. He's got the baker, the candlestick maker, and the other guy. And they said unto him, verse 8, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me them, I pray you. So you got the butler, and he tells him the dream. So I want to I wanna talk about this uh, uh, idea of the dreams, because, um, again, related to this ripple effect of everything we do and say and how we conduct and live our lives, uh, in the modern, you know, movement, a messianic movement, this, this, uh, and, and in Christianity, there's been a whole thing and a movement uh, with dreams, you know, coming back. Basically, all I want to say about this, but it's important because we as the body need to start to have some more discernment in, in uh, who we listen to and what we read. Not that we can't, you know, learn from a lot of different teachers and, and, and things we read, but you have to have discernment. And the only way you have discernment is when your discernment is based on the Word of God, and it's tried by that because it's a litmus test for everything. So when we see dreams pop up in the Bible, Joseph doesn't say, well, I was trained by this guy, and I took this class, and he gave me this, you know, three-step, you know, method. That's not how he says that he interprets. Nobody taught Joseph how to interpret dreams. 
God taught him how to interpret it. Actually, I don't even know if you can say it that way. God just gave him the interpretation. It says he don't interpret. That's right. It says, do not interpretations belong to God. So interpretations of dreams is a supernatural God-given thing in an individual's life. When does this happen? Is it so that you can know whether to get, you know, start drinking decaf coffee or should I stay on caffeinated coffee? You know, that's not, no. That's, that's, God gives dreams to his people and, and all the gifts of the spirit, I, I would wager to say. There, uh, what did I, I wrote this down. Uh, okay. Let me see. So interpretations, let's see if I followed my notes. I write this stuff down, but then. Okay, interpretations belong to God. That's the first thing. Joseph was not taught to interpret this. It's something supernatural from God. These gifts are more often than not given to build up the body of Messiah. They're an individual situation, right, where Joseph was in prison with those two guys there, with corporate ramifications, it's not so that you can figure out whether you should, you know, what should be my New Year's resolution. Or, you know, I got some sort of, you know, it's because what happened in the body of Messiah and what's happened in Christianity is it's, uh, it's all about us. You know, how can we be fed? We go to con- certain congregations because it makes me feel such and such a way. Because I get this and that from it. Uh, you know, even our relationships, well, he makes me this and that and feel and what I, you know, it's all this... Uh, uh, yeah, it's society we're raised up in. It's these societal norms that we're raised with where now instead of the kid sitting at the table and shutting their mouth and eating dinner like they're supposed to, oh, honey, you know, what would you like? Let me go get you something. No, you stupid kid. Do what I say. You know, but we've lost that in our society. And so this has crept into uh, the culture of the people of God because it's not based any longer on the word of God. It's based on whatever we feel. You know, it's all emotion-based. So, there are those who capitalize on this, on the flock of God, and they fleece the flock, and they live off the fat of the flock. God has really strong things to say about those people. <clears throat> so, if someone, beware of anyone charging you money to teach you how to interpret your dreams. Okay? I'm not going to name any names, but there's this whole movement out there. And this is not from God. I don't care what anybody says. And um, we as the body of the Messiah need to have discernment. You know? Imagine if Yeshua were here today. You know? And, and, and some guys teach it, you know. I, I just picture him taking out a whip and... God, you know? Because what did Joseph say? Interpretations belong to God. It's something supernatural in Joseph's life for the situation at hand. Why? Because God was working out his plan to keep his people alive because the famine was coming. All right. So, the other thing I want to say about the gifts of the Spirit and dreams and things like that, don't assume that the modern-day expression in whatever vein of Christian or Messianic walk that you want to look at the modern-day expressions of these gifts, gifts is pure as the snow, wind-driven snow. If the Sabbath's corrupted, the feasts are corrupted, the dietary law, if everything is corrupted in almost 180 degrees opposite of what it should be, why would the gifts be any different? 
okay? And so we have to be, again, discerning and take these things back. When they were speaking in tongues, the new believers, the Jews weren't surprised that they were speaking in tongues. They were surprised that the Gentiles were doing it. So that tells me that it wasn't anything new for them. So if what was happening then, is it, was, is it the same thing that we're seeing today? I don't think so. So anyways, my point in all of this, with all these things, is have some discernment. Because as we... Um, you know, restore a lot of this walk and in, in, in things in our life. Uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, whenever we tend to start learning things new, we, we shut down the critical thinking side of our brain. You know? And so that's why it's so important to have your walk with God. So like Joseph, he's an example to us. He's sold into slavery, being in the exile, just like us. But he remains faithful to God and who he was. So if you go to chapter 41 and uh, 37 through 41, I want to read this. Genesis 41, verse 37. So he just, uh, he just interprets Pharaoh's dreams. That's the dream. That's the background of this. The thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discern, discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. So, what does Pharaoh see? Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? So this was evident. So everything goes wrong in Joseph's life. He goes down in prison, you know, but he says interpretations belong to God. He hasn't left his identity. He hasn't forsaken who he is. He has not forsaken his God in the midst of the most dire circumstances, you know, frozen cold, you know, no man's land, New Hampshire, you know. <laughs> Wherever you are, it might be scattered, whoever might be listening to this. You know, we're all scattered to the four winds of the earth, but there God's presence is with us, even in prison as Joseph. So he didn't try to blend in and be a secret Hebrew. He was who he was, and he did not deny that. And he couldn't really even hide it. But I think a lot of us, and this is convicting even in my own life, you know, we kind of just go along, get along, blending conveniently. Hopefully nobody sees my seats, you know, because, because we don't want to make waves. No, we should be proud of who we are because we represent the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we are who we are in God as his children, Hebrews, and we should be proud of this. Okay, people will see the might and wisdom of God through us. So that's what, what happened in, in Joseph's life because he didn't deny who he was. He uh, stayed faithful to his God. Pharaoh saw God's might and wisdom in and through him. And, and because of all that, God worked out his plan. You know, it's just such a, you know, hard to wrap your mind around all this, I think. But... But beautiful. I mean, just so so awesome. And so, 
we can learn from Joseph's example. You know, there he was all by himself, alone, in the exile, in the what could have been, you know, how could it get any worse? But God was using him there to preserve his people, you know, and also using his him as an example, as a type. He was a type of the Messiah. So if you go to, um, because that's what Yeshua did. He, he's, he came, he gave us his spirit to preserve us in the exile, you know. We don't have, um, he, he gave us his, uh, his presence, his Holy Spirit, his word written on our hearts that we may live it out. You know, that we can have the wisdom to know how to live. So Genesis uh, 41, I want to go to verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout the land of Egypt. And so this is basically he prepares for all of the, the, the famine that's coming. And um, he gets married, has two kids. But basically, he's a type of the Messiah. It's interesting. To me, he was 30 years old when he got set up. And Yeshua started his ministry at 30 years old. Um, it was also when priests started their uh, work in the tabernacle as well. Um, so then if you, we go on and, and uh, we'll just kind of breeze through the rest of the uh, Torah portion here. We go on, and basically, what you have next is Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt to get grain, um, and, and they go through uh, this whole um, play uh, uh, or situation that 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 Joseph puts on his brothers, basically to test them to see if they're the same guys that throw him through him in the, in the well, or or if they've changed it all, if they'll basically... So he works out the scheme to eventually get Benjamin to come down because they, he wants to know if they'll sell Benjamin out too. And, and make believe said, oh, well, he got eaten by something too along the way down there. And they can save their hides and get back home. So he's trying to find out who they, who, what type of character they have. And so um, they, they go down, they get grand, they go back, they leave Simeon there because it keeps him in jail. And, um, and so... Then they go back down with Benjamin, but it's Reuben initially when they get back who tries to say, look, I'll stand for him, you know, I'll take care of him, I'll watch over Benjamin, but Joseph says, or, um, Jacob, Jacob says, no, you know, I don't think Jacob trusted him basically because he had the whole thing with um, Reuben and his um, uh, maidservant, yeah, and so... So he says, no, they wait till basically they run out of food. And then Judas steps up and says, look, I will stand surety for Benjamin and take him down. And so then he does. And we kind of see at this point where Judah takes the lead somewhat in the family and steps up to the plate. And so you start to see these figures arise, Judah and Joseph, uh, who kind of are the, and then eventually you have the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Ephraim, Joseph's offspring. And so you start to see these, these characters develop even here. <clears throat> and, um, and so basically, then eventually they all go back, they all come down to Egypt and God uh, provides for them there through Joseph, through his miraculous plan for him. So I think we can all take a little bit of solace in Joseph's life. And, and that's why we read these Torah potions. That's why we, we need to be in the scripture daily, and uh, uh, build ourselves up in these, these, these passages and these people who went through far worse things than we, most of us have so far, and stay, you know, vigilant, you know. None of these guys saw the fulfillments, really, of anything. 
You know, Moses didn't even get to go in the land. Moses was born in exile and died in exile, basically. And most of his life generally sucked. <laughs> really. So. All right. Um, all right, let's go to our Hoftor portion, which is in Zechariah. Um, we're going to start in 2, verse 10. Last book in the Tanakh. In your English Bible, anyway. Um, keep in mind when you when you read all this too, like they've come back to the, uh, out of exile in Babylon. They're Judah's back in the land, um, somewhat. Uh, but things are still not as they should be. They rebuild the temple, but as far as we know at this point, um, that the ark is not in the temple, and uh, eventually God's presence departs. From from off the from from the from the temple, and uh, Zechariah. There is no two fourteen. Oh, that's right. You know why? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because um, we're going to start in 10, actually. That's because it's the Hebrew ordering of the, the verses, the, t- the numbering. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Sorry, I should have, I should have said that. Uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Tanakh, sometimes the numbering is a little different for the verses. So we're actually going to start in 210. Um, what was I saying now? Oh, so... Um, yeah, so the Spirit of God, the, 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 as far as we know, the, the, the ark was not actually in the temple as best we know when they came back out of, uh, out of exile. And so, and eventually God's Spirit departs from the temple. And um, so they're looking that a lot of these prophecies and what the prophets are saying are looking forward, basically what I'm trying to say is, to the coming of the Messiah. And God restoring his people because everything's a broken mess essentially even though they've come back out of judah uh, out of babylon somewhere to judah it's not even all of judah there's 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 foreigners now in the land uh, you know their enemies are at their heels and uh and eventually what you have during this period between the end of the the, the days of the prophets and when yeshua comes is um where the the Maccabee, the whole Maccabee story starts, and things corrupt over time, basically, is what happens. And to where, eventually, you have the temple system, and the ruling parties become a system unto themselves, instead of the Torah and God's word, and how he designed things to be uh, functioning as a correct system unto themselves. And so... When you read the New Testament, you have to understand that they weren't doing what was right. You know, I, I used to read and think, well, you know, um, you read the passage where unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, you're not going to make it. 
<laughs> right, I used to think, like, well, initially when I was coming to the, you know, whole Messianic movement, well, aren't they the ones keeping the Torah? No, they weren't. They were uh, exploiting it for their own gain and had made their own rule. They had added to it and they had taken away from it. And so that's what Yeshua was doing and why he was rocking the boat so much is he was restoring the Torah and restoring his spirit, his life, the heart of it to his people. They had taken it and were using it, the Torah, as a tool for their own gain. And that's not what God meant it to be. And, um, and so, all right, so let's just read this in, in Zechariah 2.10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith Yehovah. Many nations shall be joined unto Yehovah in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that Yehovah of hosts has sent me unto thee. And Yehovah shall inherit Judah, his portion, in the holy land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, all flesh, before Yehovah, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yehovah, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Yehovah said unto Satan, Yehovah rebuke thee, O Satan, even Yehovah that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuketh thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spoke unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of Yehovah stood by. And the angel of Yehovah Protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, if thou wilt keep my charge, and if thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, I will give thee places to walk among he- these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men... Uh, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch." For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the engraving thereof, saith Yahweh of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. And that day, saith Yahweh of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. <clears throat> so you have this messianic, very messianic prophecy of what God is going to do. So he's, he's telling uh, Zechariah, prophesying all this and talking to Joshua, the high priest, in this really dark time in Israel's history, but that God will save his people, essentially, and that he will uh, send forth his servant, the branch, which was Yeshua. And uh, just so much great stuff in the prophets. I mean, we need to get, go through these more um, because it's so tied into understanding what was going on when Yeshua came. And in, uh, in the New Testament and what the apostles were writing and what they were dealing with. And, and there's nothing new, basically. It's, it's, you know, working through so many different situations that are the same things we're finding ourselves in today. And um, so that's important why we, you know, go to the scriptures, throw these things out, have discernment, you know, ask for God to give us his wisdom, use his spirit in us to, uh, you know, live as we should and not be led away on weird, you know, rabbit trails of things that are seemingly popping up all over the place.
in in this walk. So, all right, now let's go to um, uh, Luke four. And we'll wrap up here. So Luke chapter four, verse uh, sixteen. Well, let's start in 14, actually. 4.14. Yeshua returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And it was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeds out of his mouth. And they said, Was not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the day of Elias, when the heavens was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Isaiah sent, uh, Elias sent, save unto uh, Serpentah, a city in Zidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias, uh, Elias the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian. And all the... <laughs> so if you understand what he said just there, he just... Basically, you know, uh, you know, just put a screwdriver right into the midst of things, you know, like in the, in the light socket, <laughs> you know. So in other words, he's saying, here I am, the, the promised Messiah, a prophet of my own country, and you guys won't listen to me. Kind of like back when, and he's essentially lining them up with the wicked people that were in the days of uh, Elijah um, when... I always mix up the two, Elijah and um, Elisha. And, Elisha. <clears throat> and so he's, he's saying, you're basically as bad as the wicked people who were then. And that was a bad time in Israel's history, if you remember reading it all. And so he says, and the only people that saved, because you guys were so dumb and wicked, was the foreigners. And he's saying that the same thing again, basically, to him. And that's why he said, too, I came from that for the, for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And why he talked to the Samaritan woman and why all the Gentiles. And because it was prophesied that would happen. And that's why when Stephen said, you're no different than your stiff-necked fathers who killed the prophets. And they were, they were angry because they uh, had set themselves up by, um, because of their own religious system that they had created. That wasn't really founded on the word of God because they had added things and taken away. And had justified themselves. So they had boxed themselves out of that category of person. You know, and that's still happening today. 
Um, when in reality, they were the very same people as the ones who were alive during Elijah's day. And Elijah, you know, you know, was... Uh, was Elijah that was under the broom tree and thought he was all alone? Elijah? I have to mix those two guys up. So, but anyways, you know the point. You get the point. So, they're just ripping mad. They think he's just a terrible person. So, uh, let's go back to where we were. Um, uh, 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They rose up, thrust him out of the city, and led him to the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they may cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. <laughs> so they wanted to kill him, murder him, actually, because they had no Torah basis to kill him. They were just angry that they'd been so insulted. But instead of taking the words of this prophet to heart and thinking, wait a minute, if he's really saying something that's coming from God, then we better take heed and listen. They said, no, let's kill this guy. Just like all those who had killed the prophets before them. You know, so this is a really, we have to, again, we have to be careful, even in this day and age, not to box ourselves out of, of um, well, we don't do that thing, you know. And so we're okay. We have to continually be checking ourselves. Like Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not that, oh, am I saved? I can't, you know, I don't know if that really happened. But our salvation, our being saved, our being purified, our walking out in this life, being conformed to the image of Yeshua. Just like Joseph, not forsaking our identity. Not, you know, blending in just to go along, get along. You know, be proud of who we are. Be Hebrews, you know. Represent God. Uh, that he might use us for a greater purpose than what we can perceive. Do what's right and accept the consequences thereof, good and bad. And leave the rest to God. It's not our job to worry about. That's why he says, put no thought to tomorrow. Don't worry. Right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, these passages, these stories of uh, our forefathers who went before us, who went through amazing things, and how you used their lives to uh, give us examples to live by. I pray, Father, that you would use your spirit in and through us as you have said you will and bring all things to our remembrance that we may be purified uh, to walk out your will and your word and to be uh, conformed to you. Uh, and as that happens, God, I know and as time goes on that you will bind your people together more and there will be more harmony and there will be more unity because as we are all changed to be like God and if we all do it individually in our own lives, things will come together. So help us not to get in the way of ourselves but to just be diligent, uh, to pattern our lives such that we may uh, put ourselves in the place to be uh, able to obey, to be able to serve you. To be ready and willing, not be stiff-necked um, and rebellious. So I just thank you for all these things, Father. And just uh, give us a good rest of Shabbat and a good week. In Yeshua's name I pray all these things. Amen.